0: There are no people, there are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Uh-huh.
1: Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Monday, April 18th. It's getting past the middle of the month, past tax day, or I guess it is tax day. There you go. Welcome to Raging Chickens, Out to Coop Live. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. On Out to Coop Live, we talk to progressives, activists, and troublemakers of all sorts, right from our own backyards and from across the country. And you can join us at the end of the week for our Friday Politics Roundup, where we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. And you can also check out our once or twice monthly The Wednesday Show with Cyril Micheleko. Cyril, of course, is a progressive columnist from the Bucks County Courier-Times and The Intelligencer. And he is also now the editor-in-chief of the Bucks County Beacon, folks. There you go. He joins me about once a month, maybe twice a month. joins me to drill down into Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and international politics. You can get all our shows by subscribing to our podcast on Podbeans, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. You can support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress and choose your membership level. But you can help us out right now, it won't cost you a dime. Head on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for the show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. And this is a brand new initiative here raging chicken if you want to help us end the domination of right wing money tipping the scales to the extreme on our school boards and in our communities well we've made that easy simply drop a donation to the raging chicken community fund at ragingchicken.levelfield.net like level the playing field that's ragingchicken.levelfield.net help us support community organizing and school board candidates that our communities and our children deserve you can also join our Discord server. For information on that, check out today's show notes. And for more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern. On his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, you know, wherever you get a stream, you're going to find Rick there. For information about all his shows, head on over to the RickSmithShow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. If you haven't already, get out from underneath that rock, all right, folks? The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast rock the house, and they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at The Night Caucus. That's at The Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And attention gamers, the Game Inn is a Quaker Town-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s and the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko, funko Pops, blah, 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 can't even speak tonight. And kids get a discount if they get A's in the report card. Come on, how you beat that? Check them out on their Facebook page and follow them on Twitter at TheGameIn. If you got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a special shout out goes to Jonathan Mann who wrote our intro song. There are no people in the future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at song day man. That's with two N's at, at song of day man on Twitter. Well, I'm looking for some really uh, ahead to one heck of a few weeks ahead. Um, next week on the show, everybody's little show notes. Next week on the show, we've got Daisy Pickin um, talking about her new book on the line. Um, as I said, that book is freaking awesome. And I'm so glad she'll be coming on the show next week. And a couple weeks, uh, I don't think I'm going to break the news quite yet uh, because we're making sure we got a solid date. Um, but we've got a couple other guests that you're going to be looking forward to hearing um, in the weeks ahead. But that's the weeks ahead we got here tonight. Tonight's episode of Out to Coop Live, I welcome Brett Wilkins to the show. Brett is a staff writer for Common Dreams, and prior to joining Common Dreams and 2020. His articles focusing on issues of war and peace and human rights have been published on Counterpunch, Antiwar.com, Asia Times, Telesur, Mondo Vice, and Velo, uh, uh, Venezuela Analysis. He is also the communication coordinator for the San Francisco Berniecrats and Our Revolution affiliate and was a member of Collective 20, a socialist writers' collective whose notable, notable members include Michael Albert, Medea Benjamin, Noam Chomsky, and Bill Fletcher Jr., And tonight we're going to be digging into uh, his recent article, uh, Democracy Under Siege in GOP War on Black Voters, a report which unpacks the National Urban League's 2020 report on how, quote, Republican, federal and state lawmakers are working in concert with political operatives and violent extremists to disenfranchise, delude, manipulate and intimidate American voters and establish one party rule. We're also going to dip into a recent article he just wrote on uh, an amazing op ed uh, published by Ilhan Omar Um, and then maybe take a little journey down to South America and see what's happening in Brazil because Brett writes about freaking everything. Welcome to the show,
0: Brett. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Pleasure
1: to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Um, and I'm thrilled. And I said this when your colleague Jessica was on the show a few weeks back. Um, it's really incredible the amount of work that you all put out at Common Dreams. And I just want to thank you for it because it's, uh, you know, like I said to her and I encourage everybody who's listening to this show tonight, um, you know, I've been, I've been reading stuff that's coming out of common dreams since common dreams, I think first went live like in the nineties or, or I, I don't know when it went live, but I remember in the nineties is when I was, I was reading it, um, and, uh, following what goes on. So it's so great to have you on tonight.
0: Thanks. Yeah. 1996 or 97, I think it was. And I would just uh, extend an invitation to all your listeners to, uh, you know, we're hundred percent reader supported and we have no advertising or anything like that. So if you're feeling like it, heading <laughs> over there. Give him a donation. Give him a donation
1: is what he wants to say. (laughs) Support the work of Common Dreams, everybody. Um, You know that we are nothing if not uh, 100 percent behind uh, independent progressive media because, you know, look, we don't have the billionaires, uh, angel investors dropping us billions of dollars every other week. Uh, we got to band together and do it ourselves, which is precisely what uh, you all are certainly doing over there at – Common dreams. So, Brett, listen, I mean, one of the reasons I first reached out to you was um, I mean, in, I mean, in addition to kind of reading your work for a bit, um, you know, as we were talking a little about before the show in uh, Bucks County and all throughout Pennsylvania. And again, Pennsylvania is not special in this regard, other than the fact that some of it, it's gotten pretty extreme in Bucks County and some other places where we have QAnon supporters and things like this occupying our school boards now. We have uh, extremists uh, at the state legislature who are kind of pushing all sorts of voter suppression measures. And um, we know that we kind of need the tools and uh, every tools we can to make sure that we're tracking what's going on. And you've got this piece that you published about the uh, um, National Urban League's uh, State of Black America report that looked at basically how democracy was under siege with these initiatives. So can you walk us through a little bit about uh, what you found in that report and what some of your
0: reporting found? Sure. Um, So this is a report, like you said, by the National Urban League. And the the part that deals with voting rights on the line, they call it the plot to destroy our democracy, is actually, um, you know, it's a subsection of the report that was prepared by the Brennan Center for Justice that does really good work tracking voting rights and voter suppression across the country. And, you know, it found, like you said, that, you know, Republican operatives at the federal and state, at the state and federal level are working together with violent extremists and political operatives. And just as a quick aside, you mentioned Bucks County. I don't know if you've been following what's going on in Shasta County, California, where, you know, there was a recall of a Reagan Republican by hard right, proud boys and types and Wow! Looks like they're, they'll be taking over Shasta County, so it's, it's a nationwide phenomenon, but uh, so is voting su- voter suppression, and this has been going on for decades, you know, um, like since the Voting Rights Act of 1965, there have been repeated and concerted efforts to slowly erode voting rights in the country, and, you know, especially during Barack Obama's presidency, we saw a lot of this, uh, and then in 2013, with the Shelby County versus Holder decision, in a gutted Devoted Rights Act, and we've seen detrimental consequences from that um, to the point where right now, in the atmosphere of Trump's big lie, and you have these Republicans that are supporting that big lie and just relentless campaign to sow doubt on the results of the 2020 election, and it could worsen for 2022. And so this report goes through the different steps uh, by which these forces are trying to destroy democracy basically. And um, would you like me to go a little into that? Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: I mean, cause I look at it like this, right? Because it's, it, on the one hand, I mean, ab- absolutely. As you said, uh, you know, since the voting rights act was passed, there has been a kind of attacks on voting rights. There's been attempts at voter suppression here. So voter suppression efforts themselves are not new, right? It seems to be, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems to me that this kind of kind of coordination and, uh, kind of bringing into or coordination with these extremist elements does seem to be relatively new to our current time, but it harkens back to kind of some of the worst moments of voter suppression in the history of this country. So, yeah, Uh, walk us through a little bit some of this.
0: And it's like it's the perceived threat, right? For example, in states like North Carolina, where 90 percent of the population growth is consists of people of color or in Texas, where 95% of the population growth is people of color. But yet, for some reason, <laughs> some reason, people <laughs> yes, so of color it. in these states have <laughs> seen decreased representation in Congress. And so, you know, it's that it's like that kind of, I used to call it the last dying gasps of, of a certain segment of the population that's not comfortable with the way the country's going demographically. But, you know, it's not necessarily dying because this seems to be something that's cresting in power. And so the, the report outlines a four- Four-pronged approach to the destruction of democracy, which, you know, when I first read it, I thought maybe it sounded a little bit hyperbolic, but Mm -hmm. sum total of all this is exactly what this is doing. I mean, especially if you couple it with things like the undercount in the census and, you know, just the most asinine moves by people like Ron DeSantis, where they're trying to expunge uh, or what is it censor uh, math books because they might contain critical race theory you know so this goes all the way down to the micro level but before the four main points are gerrymandering suppression sabotaging of elections and intimidation and so we just talked about the you know the population growth of people of color not being represented or in in congress well one of the main ways they they do that is by gerrymandering maps, or we, we should come up with a better name for it. Maybe just say rigging or something, because that's yeah, that's because what it yeah, is, exactly.
1: Map. I understand the like the nostalgia of gerrymandering as a term and where its origin stuff like that. But let's just call it what it is. It is like literally rigging.
0: Yeah, calling it what it is is good. It's like during the 2016 and 2020 uh, Democratic primaries when uh, they like to use the word shenanigans to describe what they did to Bernie. But I'm like, that's it's a little bit more severe <laughs> <It> than shenanigans, <laughs> right? So, you know, at, at, the, at the ballot box, there's so many different ways that they that they block access to the ballot um, by shortening the window of time that you could apply to deliver mail ballots, limiting absentee voting rights, um, you know, restricting assistance in returning voter mail ballots. They make that seem like it's some kind of nefarious thing when, you know, ballot harvesting, they call it, you know, we do it all the time in California. And, and um, you know, harsher voter ID requirements, which we see in state after state, um, you know, b- voter purges, which I don't think it's controversial to say that the 2000 election, people like to blame Ralph Nader and those 571 votes in Florida, but there were tens of thousands of eligible voters in Florida that were purged from the voter rolls simply because their names were too close to somebody who was a felon, or sometimes it was like they wanted a a time frame. And so all these things, you know, or like ridiculous things like the Georgia voter suppression law, where you're not allowed to hand out food or water to people waiting in line and limiting early voting, just thing after thing to restrict access to the ballot box. And we see this in state after state. Um, Between January and December of last year, 19 different states passed 34 laws, um, which was the most significant legislative assault on voting rights since since Reconstruction, really. And 2022, already the year is young, but there's already been at least 152 bills introduced. And in addition to that, states that allow lawmakers to pre-file bills ahead of the next legislative session We've seen 96 bills in 12 states. that would make it harder for voters to cast a ballot. And so then you have, you know, then you have the third prong, which is election sabotage. And, you know, there's different ways that they do that. One is by discrediting the vote. For example, after a record turnout of black and brown voters through mail-in an absentee ballot, you know, voices from the right have falsely falsely accused of fraud. And there's other ways of doing it, too. I don't know if you've noticed, but in Texas um, so far... We've seen counties in Texas that are, you know, just discarding an inordinate number of yep. mail-in ballots. Um, it's it's uh, in 120, uh, a 17 percent rejection rate across 120 counties, and um, that's according to an investigation by the Associated Press that my colleague Kenny reported on last month. Um, so we see that, and then there's there's uh, the fourth prong. Well, you you can introduce new outcomes too. You know, like stop the steal audits, quote unquote, air quotes there. <laughs>
1: We call them fraudits up here.
0: Love Love it. You know, these are based on conspiracy theories and lies. So that's, you know, you know, even the the Arizona one by that they found absolutely nothing. Well now I think they're trying to find a way around that by passing a law that says that I think I forget exactly what it was, but like the Republicans can appoint the people that they want to do the audits. Or something like that i don't i'm not exactly yep but then then what you do after that after you block the ballot box you can establish one party rule and again i thought that sounded kind of hyperbolic but you know all these things together you get you got these people and they're recruiting their followers to run for these local positions that oversee the polling places and vote counting and the audits and whatnot and so who's to say like i think um trump has filed a uh he's are he's uh, endorsed whoever's running against um job in Georgia you know who's a right-wing dude he's not you know yep. but because yep. he had the, the audacity to actually uphold you know the election laws there which you know gave the victory to the rightful with to Biden you know he's trying to get rid of him and I and there's a candidate running I think in Wisconsin that's basically she's pledged that you know or Michigan maybe she's pledged that hell yeah like I would totally have gone along with the, with the stop yep. the steal you know and so those are the four, you know, oh, and then there's intimidation of election officials. And yeah, this is something that, let's throw
1: the intimidation in on, on top of you that. Know, right? Right.
0: <laughs> we got to. And so there's a survey that said, you know, one in six local election officials have personally experienced threats. And these are some of these are horrible, like they're threats of violence against them and their family members, including elderly parents and children. And, you know, some of them have reported that the, the persistent harassment has made them leave, flee their homes and hire counselors for their traumatized children. And so, you know, they and plus they're not the most highly paid people in the first place and it's right. a stressful. so they there, there's a w- real worry that, um, that, you know, that there won't be enough election officials. So all these things, you know, one, one, one in five local election officials said that they were very, or somewhat unlikely to continue serving through the 2024 election, according to the report. So this four pronged approach that they have is, you know, it really does pose an existential threat to democracy if we don't do something about it
1: well and it and it you know I look at all those things that you just laid out right that are kind of from this report, and it also seemed when you step back from it and look at these things, each one of these things individually is like a battle on its own right. when you step back of it, it's like the general sense that it feels like you're left with is like there's just people are gonna be put at e or are not are made uneasy. <laughs> About the election. Right. Everything is going to be have a little shred of doubt that's over top of it, mm-hmm. a little shred of fear over top of it, a little shred of kind of like wondering, you know, what's real and what's not. And that's the precisely the context that is opens it up for all sorts of kind of autocratic rule. Right. For kind of like the, I, I mean, I hate to put it like in these terms. Right. But it's like. It's, it's the setup for the strongmen. I'm thinking about like Masha Gessen's stuff on kind of like autocracy and things. We are saying like, you know, you that's part of the setup, right? One of the things that we uh, we learned, like Timothy Snyder also had this book where he's talking about this too as well. Right? You know, first you, you cast doubt and you make everybody doubt the base things, right? So you don't know what's real and what's not. And then when people actually go to vote, right, they can't even be sure if their vote has been counted, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have all sorts of questions about fraud and corruption come up when it's really the very people who are, Saying the other side is corruption, that they're the ones who are full of the corruption. I mean, it's huh. it's like such an incredible chaotic situation. It's it's unreal.
0: Yeah, it's like I no. know you are. Yeah, it's 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 it is, and it works. That's the sad thing about it. it. It really does. We see it time and again, and it's worrisome.
1: Well, and we don't learn, right? I mean, one quick story, and then I want to I want to I want to kind of talk about some of the consequences, of what we're going to do about this, because. I, you know, you mentioned about what happened in Florida, right? And how the blame all went to Ralph Nader and everything. I remember that distinctly. I remember actually, I, I lived in D.C. at the time. I actually campaigned for Nader in D.C., oh, wow. right? Um, And we kind of like asked, you know, we're telling people like, look, Washington, D.C. is like 90% Democratic. There is literally no way <laughs> that a Republican is going to get elected here. Mm. Um, but that you can't get that argument through because all they're thinking about is this broader thing. But anyways... I remember I worked at a bookstore in D.C. In addition, I was a uh, I was an adjunct faculty member at GW at the time, but I was also um, I worked at Politics and Prose bookstore, which uh, a great bookstore in D.C. and Greg Pallast, Mm -hmm. Um, was, was speaking one night. I was happened to be working the night that, uh, he was there talking about his book, the best democracy money can buy. Um, and he's kind of, he's talking up at the podium and stuff. And then suddenly there's these two folks that kind of come up alongside of him, Right. So it's one man, it's one woman, and they're kind of dressed in suits and Mm you just kind of like looking at him, whatever. And he's talking, he's looking over them, smiling at them. You know, goes on and he's and he starts talking about exactly what you brought up about voter suppression in Florida. And then he said, well, we uncovered actually turns out some of the voter machines had this little thing, this little switch. Right. And the switch was if there was a an error. Right. In the ballot. Right. If you switched it one way, it would spit the ballot back out and say, try again. If you put it the other way. Right. It would eat the ballot. (laughs) Right. And dispose of it. And guess which counties had the one switched where the ballot disappears? Those ones that are primarily kind of black counties in Florida. Mm. And so then Pallas was like, you know, it's almost as if there was a database. And then he reaches under the podium and he pulls out a laptop with the spreadsheet that shows that data. They got a hold of the data. And then he said, I want to I'm going to hand this over to these two individuals over here. Who are here from the NAACP legal defense fund who are gonna take this data and you are all my witnesses <laughs> that we're handing this data over so it's here and so they had the information and what has driv- driven me crazy and like I don't I don't want to go too far afield here in terms of like 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 the problems with the Democratic Party but um it's like where's been the fight it's almost as if we haven't been paying enough attention to this and now we're up against the wall right am I wrong about that?
0: No, and that's one thing, you know, like one of the one of the solutions that, you know, I get panicked when people ask me for solutions because I'm better at pointing out problems and at, at <laughs> like finding solutions. But, you know, one of them would be the federal court system. But when you have a record number of appointees by, you know, you know who the, the yep. former president and that, you know, So, but it's, it's interesting that you mentioned um, that you were going into Florida a little bit. And um, not to mean a hash over, hash, up, but those databases you were talking about, they were used in 2000 as well. It was to the point yeah. where the chief the chief attorney, the former commissioner of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, and doing a post-mortem on the, on the 2000 presidential election, I'm going to get this quote exactly where he said, because um, I don't want to mess this quote up, but he said that those kind of actions were, and I quote, outcome determinative in the 2000 election. And so this has been going on for a long time. They've been building it. And if you, if you recall this, you know, the Stop the Steal in 2020, it, and you, re, you go back and look at footage of the uh, the Brooks Brothers riot of 2000, you know, when they flew in all these operatives from around the country to try to cast doubt and to intimidate. Um, and one person was actually attacked to intimidate um, election workers in Florida. You know, it's a playbook and it's tried and true. But so we do need, you know, we need voting rights legislation is what we need to guarantee these rights. But as you've seen over the last... um as you've seen over the last year and a half or so you have um democrats uh, like democrats like uh, kirsten cinema and joe manchin that um whether it's you know not just this this issue either whether it's climate action whether it is you know just uh, whether it's the build back better act uh, just about any anything that you know any kind of s- somewhat ambitious agenda that um president joe biden who you know just to be clear on this one i'm not a big fan i'm not a fan at all i didn't vote for him or anything like that but you know i mean i was impressed by some of the things that he tried to put forward whether it was whether he knew they would be shot down or not that's another conversation but you know he officially tried and so to see these things and including voting rights they keep getting shot down um it it does cast doubt on whether we're going to be able to go that route you see the same thing when it comes to reproductive rights for example. Um, you know, which is under threat by um, not only the Supreme Court's conservative supermajority, but again, Joe Manchin, you know, uh, yep. so the Women's Health Protection Act, for example, which would go a great way to you know, would codify reproductive rights at the national level. You know, this, this is not going to be passed because of, as long as Joe Manchin sits in that, that 50th Senate seat. And so the legislative avenue is somewhat blocked to us. So then we go to what? The judicial, you know, judicial solutions, which, you know, with um, a record number of Trump appointees sitting in federal courts, that kind of gets watered down a bit. So it's a scary situation at the end of the day. I mean, maybe you have got some solutions, but it seems like the ones that we could have and should have there, they're blocked at every turn by not only the Republicans, but by uh, Democrats as well. I, I agree. Like, and I think, I, I do think
1: solutions are incredibly difficult. I mean, I, this is not, I, you know, I, I'm thinking of, I wish there was an easy solution at this point. And I hate to say that, you know, the only solution is organize, organize, organize. Right. Um, And I think that uh, I don't know what else to say. I mean, I I look at people like I go down to the the people in our community. Right. We Watch our school boards topple over and getting kind of QAnon folks elected as we got this billionaire from down down in Bucks County, Paul Martino, who's basically dumping ten thousand dollars plus per per school board election. Right. In order to kind of elect these kind of right wing extremists. Um, You know, we're kind of up against the wall and we've been we've been faced with a Democratic Party for the long time, you know, especially at the state level that, you know, have just been kind of going along to get along and haven't really invested in organizing kind of at the base. And so but I have on the same level, I do have some some kind of hope. But this is a long term hope um, that we're going to see some kinds of shifts at least in uh, you know the fights that are coming out of the Democratic Party. I mean, we've got you know the squad at the at the at the the federal level. Um, there's the, the possibility of that increasing in kind of upcoming elections. We're also seeing you know we say we like we have our little squad here in Pennsylvania where we got kind of um, progressive left socialists getting elected to our state legislative branch. Confederment,
0: um, hopefully. Yeah, well,
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, even we've got, I mean, at the state level, we've got like, way better people than him. And then, so that tells you that we've got Nikhil Saval kind of coming out of a uh, um, coming out a uh, Rick Kajewski. We've got Elizabeth Fiedler. We've got Sarah and we've got Summer Lee, Summer Lee, who's oh, yes. freaking amazing, yeah, yeah. who is running. Yep. She's running now um, um, for Congress. Um, and that can, so there's there's this kind of movement, but it feels like we're playing catch up. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know what to do. And I, I have to say I have to say that. You know, when I said solutions, I really don't think we've got an easy solution. I think we've got a lot of hard work that's going ahead of us. But I think on the other side of it, maybe we have the possibility of a, a different future. And I, I don't want to shift gears too quickly here, um, but it seems connected that you know, at the same time that we're seeing the limits of our kind of democratic politics in the United States, <laughs> right, and the creeping kind of kind of neo-fascistic and kind of authoritarian policies that happen in the U.S. We're seeing the same stuff play out now on the world stage, right? Where we're seeing, you know, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, right, and the kind of the the I mean, overt war crimes that are taking place within uh, within Ukraine, right, that is being perpetrated by Russia. And you recently wrote a piece about this too, as well, which I thought was, you know. I don't know how else to think about this as they, you know, what's happening here in this country is echoing in what we're seeing happening across the world with these kind of same kind of challenges to, you know, say business democracy, (laughs) if you will. Um, And, you know, Ilhan Omar had a piece in The Washington Post um, that's basically saying, look, It's, you know, it's time that we got to have a new direction. It's time we were to bring in some kind of accountability here. We can't just, you know, kind of look the other way at war crimes. And the United States cannot be in a position um, to say that it's somehow special. Well, we can't even get our own house in order. So, I mean, can you talk us through a little bit about the piece that she wrote? Um, And I I just I just thought you did a great job of kind of bringing that forward, too, because it was an amazing piece. Thanks. thanks. Um,
0: yeah. Um, so first of all, just to start out, there's absolutely no no chance of us joining the uh, ratifying the Rome Statute and joining the International Criminal Court. So, which is her solution? You know, she pushes for yep. this, just like you know, we're not gonna. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm not gonna get too Debbie Downer on our future now, but <laughs> you know, there's Medicare for all. There's a lot of things that we're not gonna see anytime soon that maybe we should that they like to talk about, but. So basically, what Ilhan, what a representative of Omar is saying is that, you know, it's basically the old glass houses uh, argument. You know, the United States really has no moral standing or legal standing, in this case, literally, um, no moral or legal standing to be telling, you know, to be pressing for prosecution of Russia at the International Criminal Court because not only is Russia not signatory to the Rome Statute, which established the court, neither is the United States. Um, neither is Ukraine, for that matter, um, nor are some of our closest allies like Israel and Saudi Arabia, who have been accused credibly of committing war crimes on their own. But, well, Bill Clinton back in um, 19, back in 2000, right before he left office, he actually did sign the, the Rome statute. Um, but he was concerned, he said, you know, and they always, regardless of their party, they say the same thing. They're concerned about uh, it, the, the ICC being used to unjustly prosecute U.S alleged U.S. war crimes, when then really what they're saying is we we want to shield ourselves from accountability from actual right. war crimes. So uh, Clinton advised Bush, he didn't send it to the Senate for ratification, and he ab- advised Bush to do the same. And of course, Bush was more than more than happy to oblige um, You know, the breakdown of the rule law we saw under that administration, from Guantanamo to Abu Ghraib to dark sites to legalize or legalized, attempted legalization of torture. And so the Bush administration went a step further. There was a law passed in 1999 that prohibited congressional funding of the ICC. Um, The Bush administration went a step further. It wasn't the Bush administration. It was Congress under the Bush administration, and Bush signed a law called the American Service Members Protection Act, which um, banned um, banned cooperation with the court. It banned training of court um, uh, personnel, and it even went so far as to authorize military action to secure the release of any American who might be detained on or by, by behalf, or by or on behalf of the court, they called it the Hague Invasion Act. Um, the, the Obama administration gave lip service to respecting the court's mandate and whatnot, but made no real steps to join the court. And uh, Donald then came Trump. Who was so infuriated by the prospect of the ICC under um, former head prosecutor Fatoua Bensouda, who really had the, the, uh, the courage to, you know, consider not only the Taliban and uh, ISIS war crimes in Afghanistan, but announced that the United States would be investigated as well. So Donald Trump's administration just slapped sanctions on the ICC. And same thing, you know, when they tried to look into Israeli alleged Israeli crimes in Palestine. And so, you know, these sanctions have been lifted, but now we have a new ICC head prosecutor from Britain who, um, Imran Khan, I believe his name is, who, or is it, yeah, no, sorry, Imran Khan is somebody else's, uh, Karim Khan, I think, he said he's not even going to investigate the United States anymore. So even if, you know, even if we were to be part, subject to it, it seems like, if a country is powerful enough, it gets to get away with its war crimes um, without being investigated. I don't, they've never investigated Saudi, Saudi. I don't think they've investigated Saudi Arabia and Yemen. I don't think in, in, with their actions in Yemen. And I don't know how the um, investigation of Israel is proceeding. But so, yeah, there's just a, a culture of impunity around this. And basically, Ilhan Omar is saying, you know, if we truly believe in prioritizing human rights and enforcing international law, then how can we not be a part of the court that upholds that law? And so now, of course, now that it's Russia that's committing the war crimes, you have like Lindsey Graham that are like, "Oh yeah, the ICC." You know, (laughs) Uh, to be fair, actually, Lindsey Graham's always been a bit better on the ICC. You know, sometimes these people like Neil Gorsuch is really good on Native American rights, and it's like sometimes these awful weirdest one like subject that's like they're really good on, right? But um, so. So I mean she's just basically saying don't be a hypocrite and she's gotten in so much trouble before um you know when she last year was attacked not only by republicans but she was also attacked by democrats for that time when she was like yeah you know the it was when the ICC was um when they were when it was a debate about redress mechanisms for victims of war crimes committed outside the ICC's jurisdiction she was attacked for demanding the same level of accountability and justice for all victims of crimes against humanity right. and she said quote for unthinkable atrocities committed by the us hamas israel afghanistan and the taliban unquote and she was just pilloried for probably putting all those you know and if you had to look at it by sheer number of people killed i mean or you know sheer number of countries that have bombed attacked or invaded i mean there's no comparison between the us and hamas and the taliban you know but um so she's you know it's it's a thankless it's a thankless job that she has um there's horrible accusations against her and when she says these things um but you know she's just basically saying don't be a hypocrite
1: well, and I think it's inter- it's interesting that she's putting this piece out now because I think you know again I mean she's she's been willing to be like the tip of the spear on these issues, right? You know, and look, she's she's no dummy. Like she doesn't say this and think like, oh, you know, you know, I'm just gonna it's free speech. Everyone's gonna have their own opinion. No, she knows the attacks are coming, and she knows that some of them are coming from inside the Democratic Party. I mean, I remember when you know right after <laughs> I never forget it, like uh, right after like uh, she was elected and uh, uh, the 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 Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House, right? They're all they're all ready to kind of go forward with this agenda. Their first piece of legislation got buried, right, because Nancy Pelosi decided it was going to be more important. Right? It was, I think it was on voter rights. I think it was on voting rights. And I think the first uh, piece comes out. Well, no, no, no. Uh, Ilhan Omar just said something about Israel. So therefore, the Democrats are going to spend their cultural capital, right, going after Ilhan Omar. Right.
0: Are you talking, the For the People Act. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, the For the People Act. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, could've, right, could've, right. Could've, right.
1: And so they spent like a week and a half going after Ilhan Omar and nobody reported on the For the People Act, right? <laughs> because yeah. it was like that. So, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but she's still out there pushing it. And I, what I'm curious about, I'm just, get your thoughts on this. I mean, again, this is purely speculative at this point, but there's, because of the kind of outpouring we're seeing um, kind of in Ukraine, right? Um, and the kind of support saying, like, we got to put some end to this. There's got to be some accountability here. I'm curious if uh, what you think about the prospects are about you know edging closer to some sort, I mean, whether it's not the ICC, edging closer to some sort of kind of international kind of kind of like uh, kind of court or something to hold this accountable right. and putting pressure upon the U.S. to become part of that. Uh, I mean, I, again, I'm, I, I realize that even as I'm saying this, uh, it, it's verging on the edge of fantasy, but I'm yeah. curious, like, what your thoughts are.
0: I mean, I, I see it more. I see more of like a, a piecemeal case by case for maybe embracing of maybe even the concept of universal jurisdiction, as long as we're not the ones in that universe at the time. Like, um, Ukraine has offered to host, um, I think, kind of third third country Uh, prosecution by Germany was mentioned or Spain has a a long history of this um, with universal jurisdiction but I I don't see it being any more of a piecemeal because the same exact things that that Russia's accused of doing in Ukraine, it doesn't take long or hard to find an analogous exactly analogous example, whether it's a bombing hospital, okay, the Médecins Sans Frontières hospital in Kunduz, Afghanistan, that we not only bombed uh, I have to stop saying we when I discuss the United States. I did my last. I just I talked about that the United States bombed and uh, during when Obama was president. And not only did they bomb, did the U.S. bomb the hospital? They went back and strafed the patients and staff who tried to run away. Or whether it's the bombing of the apartment complex in Al in Jadida neighborhood in Mosul, where uh, the Los Angeles Times reported a two hundred and seventy-eight. Uh, civilians were killed or that shelter you know we talked about the bombing of the shelter in Mariupol well 1991 the U.S. uh, sent a uh, Paveway Raytheon Paveway uh, precision guided missile right into a um, shelter there were 408 Iraqi civilians killed so it would be – I mean we we don't – we've never shied away from being uh, – sorry. The United States has never shied away from being hypocrites. But there comes a point where – well, I, I, maybe I'm going to take back what I was just going to say because I've, I've laughed sometimes just watching them say, like, it's never right to invade a sovereign nation, Blinken's out <laughs> right, there Are they saying
1: this with a straight face? Really? <laughs>
0: So, yeah, I mean, I have no, I mean, you're asking the wrong guy when it comes so I have no faith or hope that, you, that and when it comes to, and, and, and I mean, we're really good at pointing it out when other people do what we do, but, you know, like, it's like, you know, Americans, most couldn't, most Americans couldn't name a, a U.S. war crime, maybe my lie, which was 60 years, 50, 50 something years ago now, so I don't know. Yeah. Like, no, yeah, not to
1: mention the dropping of nuclear warheads right. on right. Nagasaki and Hiroshima. I mean, yeah. for example, the, the only nation only, to do that in
0: history. the world's right. only actual nuclear war, right? So, 100%. I mean, you know, I, I could see us embrace, the United States embracing us uh, judicial solutions like the way that Saddam Hussein was dealt with, or you know, or the way that Guantanamo Bay, which it's it's sad. I mean, it's extrajudicial, but right. You know, I could see specific you know um, applications or exceptions for countries that we don't like, but not as anything that's a part of a binding um, uh, and universal and egalitarian framework, because that's just not how we roll. No, 100
1: percent. You know, and I'm looking at, you know, what were some of the counters? And I I remember back in the, uh, you know, in the post, you know, battle in Seattle, kind of IMF World Bank protests, global justice movement. And uh, again, this is a time I was living in D.C. and organizing around that when you just started to have the kind of another world as possible. You had this uh, this movement it was like these these like small little glimmers of what it might look like to begin to establish a counter nar- like a counter narrative counter policy set and things like this that would start to seek for a different kind of distribution and reorganization of power uh, of course that was all taken away by nine eleven. I mean that's a, right as that that movement was just kind of getting some I don't know some organization, uh, that just got wiped off the planet literally, um, by that movement, but, um, but everything, but we still see this. Right. Um, and one of the things before I let you go tonight, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm just like, I want to <laughs> throw as much in here as possible. Yes, right. Um, but this is um you know if we look at what you have this other piece that you you put out um about lula in brazil and you're talking about the end of illegal mining on indigenous lands there and i thought that um because i know you've done stuff on kind of international stuff you're looking at um kind of social movements you've got a great focus on this and i thought that this is like one of these you know kind of the counter narratives to the bad news of like, you know, the U S bad guy moment, you see these kind of movements, making, di- making shifts in kind of directions for more equitable. And of course the situation of Lula in Brazil has been uh, you know, it's been like, the I don't want to belittle it by calling a political drama, but it has been a, a, a knockdown drag out struggle um, to shift the politics of Brazil um, from what we see far right burn down the burn down the amazon you know burn down like the rainforest versus an emergent kind of people's movement yeah. um that's here so can you talk through a little bit about that article um sure, i know sure. i'm not leaving you with you a ton of time i'm sorry but no, i really no, wanted to good. talk about this
0: it's all good um well what's going on is it just ended actually it was a um it was a 10 day or it was almost 2 week free land camp um, largest gathering of indigenous people they say in the world but at least in latin america 8000 People And like, I would say, let us be under no illusions. Okay. So the PT was in control under Lula and under Dilma um, Husefi for, um, for a dozen years or more. And, you know, there was record deforestation and record. Um, but um, that being said, It was more, I would like it to, I wouldn't liken it a little bit to Democrats and Republicans in the United States, where, you know, neither one of them is perfect, but there's definitely one that's better than the other. And what Lula's promising uh, if he gets elected in um, October, and, you know, he's got a commanding lead in most polls, um, but, you know, polls, (laughs) yeah, he's got a commanding lead in in most polls, but he said if he does get elected, he promised to um, revoke all of um, Bolsonaro's uh, uh, policies, which um, include, he called himself Captain Chainsaw, um, and he, So he's trying to ram through not he's trying to ram through a series of bills right now through the national legislature, and most of them have passed the um, chamber of deputies, which is the lower house, and they're making their way into the senate right now. Um, they would lift restrictions on you know resource extraction. Um, they, would, uh, uh, they would facilitate the destruction and exploitation of Native lands on a level that we haven't seen amid an already you know, record amount of deforestation and whatnot. And so uh, Lula's promising that nobody's going to tamper with Indigenous lands without their permission. And he's also vowed to create a ministry of Indigenous peoples to be led by um, an Indigenous person. And uh, he said he would repeal any of these laws that they are called the package of destruction that, that are, if they get passed by the National Congress. And uh, Bolsonaro, you know, he's so anti-Indigenous. I mean, some of his, you know, he's known for his outrageous quotes, but he, you know, he once said that uh, Indians are evolving more and more. They're becoming human like us. And uh, he said, it's a shame that the Brazilian cavalry hasn't been as effective as the Americans who exterminated their Indians. And so he doesn't, he makes no bones about um, how he feels about indigenous peoples and that uh, one of the biggest demands that the indigenous peoples of Brazil want is they want land demarcation, which would, you know, which would create um, literal lines, which couldn't be crossed. And so, although they are all the time, um, then Bolsonaro opposes demarcation. Lula has not said he will continue the demarcation per se, but um, you know, I don't know why he hasn't said that yet. Maybe he has, and I'm just not aware of it, but you know, he's just sounding a whole different tone. He's like, you know, you guys aren't the invaders. You've been here since before the Portuguese arrived in 1500, which is a, you know, kind of, and and we just see horrible things happen. They call it a, a genocide. I mean, they, it's not just state forces. It's um the illegal miners, uh, Ill, uh, illegal ranchers, um, indigenous peoples are killed. Uh, people are killed all the time there for defending their land, for defending their water. And so it would definitely be a welcome change. And to say nothing of the fact that Bolsonaro doesn't really believe in, um, climate change and so many other things so yeah i mean everybody's and i mean like i said uh, lula's not perfect the PT's not perfect i per my i personally support the psol which is a socialist party there but they're not you know they don't have that much national power and it would be an immensely and be an immense improvement for lula to return to the palacio uh, palanato so rooting for him
1: yeah fingers crossed and um well listen brett i appreciate you taking the time tonight so much and like i'd love to have you back on the show um to dig down into uh so i mean especially like i, I literally have a stack of your stuff here and i'm like oh, you know I, I, there's no way i we can talk about all of this so we're yeah. gonna try to pick out a couple things um but i appreciate so much your i mean your your international reporting i mean the piece right now people should check out there's a, there a post that just went up I, I don't know if it was like i think it was earlier today um looking at uh here i'll give you the exact title for it this is a report details how community utilities can usher in green energy transition um just a fantastic piece of kind of you know drilling down into some of these reports this is the excellent work that they do in a common dreams is excellent work that brett's doing over there Um, so i'd love to have they back on the show kind of the you know in the coming weeks and months uh because uh it doesn't look like the controversies and the the need for kind of political change is going anywhere fast
0: so that's for sure well thank (laughs) you so thank you so much for having me kevin and i'd love to come back
1: Oh, that'd be fantastic. All right, everybody. Uh, this was uh, Brett Wilkins tonight, everybody. Of course, he is a writer over at Common Dreams. You can check out all his great stuff. The links are all in tonight's show notes. Um, do check out the article that we uh, talked about tonight. We talked about his piece. And also, look at this. I've got to get it out for my stack. Democracy Under Siege, a GOP war on um, black voters. The report from the National Urban League. Uh, Omar's uh, article, Ilhan Omar's article, U.S. Hypocrisy and ICC Hamstrings Justice for Putin's War Crimes and brazil's lula vows to end illegal mining on indigenous lands and that was just like all in like part of a day <laughs> that he wrote so <laughs> head on over and check them out brett thanks again for joining us tonight uh appreciate it and i'll look forward to having you back
0: take care kevin thanks
1: all right, here we go, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, you, of course, to check us out next week when we'll have Daisy Pickin on to talk about her book on the line. Um, check us out on our Friday for our Fire Politics Roundup. And don't forget, like this, head on over to uh, patreoncom RC Press. Help support the show. See ya!